I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and weekly check-ins with myself. And of course, when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. Shop the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Christmas week, and welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast, or welcome if you're brand new to the show. Today's episode is very unique because it's the first time I have a career coach on this podcast, and of course, career building and just figuring out what you want to do with your career slash life is a big part of this podcast, or at the very least, a big part of my conversations within this podcast. And on this specific conversation, we dive more into the nitty gritty things about your career and preparing for, you know, the job interviews, your resume, the interview skills you need how to prepare for tricky questions, whether your GPA matters, because I know some of you listening are still in college slash university. So we definitely go more in depth with that part of preparation, because I know in the past I haven't, whether it was on a solo episode or other conversations around a career with another guest. And so a little bit about Claudia, she helps career-driven professionals get to the next level in their career. She's helped clients get up to $100,000 in salary increases, as well as flurries of emails from headhunters at big-named companies like Google, Spotify, and Amazon. Her workplace expertise has been featured in Forbes MSNBC, and Thrive Global. Last year, Business Insider put her in their global list of top 23 most innovative career coaches. So that goes to show you guys, she has a strong background in this. And honestly, this conversation is really tailored to both those of you who are just graduating or you recently graduated in the past few years, as well as for those who are already well-developed in their career and you've already gone through the first few years of post-grad life, but now maybe you're making a transition, an adjustment, or you're realizing you don't love what you do and you're trying to figure out how to get your game back on when it comes to interviewing, resume prep, and all that. So I hope you guys enjoy this career-oriented interview. And with that being said, we will dive into it. Well, 
Well, hello, Claudia. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to chat all things career and interviewing prep and resume building and all of that. I know it's going to be so applicable for my audience, but before we dive into it, I always love to start with your background. So if you could share a little bit more about where you're from, your childhood, college, post-grad life, all of that, take us through the journey. (laughs) Yeah, Emily, well, I'm excited to be here, especially like some of like the juicy content we'll be sharing throughout this interview. But uh, as far as my background, um, I was born in Guatemala and came to the U.S. when I was four years old. And, you know, we actually came here on a trip and I came, I was diagnosed with a rare blood illness. Um, It's called chronic ITP. So because of that, there's actually no cure. You have no idea where it comes from or how to cure it. So my family was kind of forced to stay here in the U.S. um, just because in Guatemala, they couldn't even manage it. At least in the U.S., they can. So that's how we ended up in the U.S. And vacation turned into our lifetime home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now, you know, when I went to college or even in high school, like my dream was to be an architect. Mm -hmm. And I feel now looking back is I said architect because of the prestige that it came with it and what reactions I received from people. So when I said, Hey, I, I'm going to be an architect when I grow up, everyone's like, Oh, wow. An architect. And, you know, once I got into college, I got into architecture. And by the way, like at this point, I've already entered competitions. I entered for Frank Lloyd Wright grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of that stuff. I did internships and finally I was in college and I realized that I did not want to be an architect. Mm. Like I'm, extroverted and most architects usually are like in like the in their you know their desk and they're you know updating like drawings or doing AutoCAD like the computer and measuring things and so it's a very solo career where you're not it's very minimal interaction and once I you know did more internship you know because before it was just like a few hours Mm -hmm. once I spend more time I'm like oh I absolutely hate this (laughs) this is not for me Mm -hmm. Um, so that prompted my pivot and into economics and sociology. And, you know, since then I have series of roles, but I worked in finance and then went into education, then mm-hmm. went into healthcare in a hospital setting, then healthcare in a private insurance setting. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to pivot across a lot of these various industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the later half, specifically like going into healthcare, that's when I started getting 30K salary increases. Okay. I started getting handpicked you know, by the CEO for, to lead special projects and task forces. And I started seeing a lot of the achievements I was looking to achieve that previously I struggled with mm. before I, you know, I struggled to get one interview, you know, let alone like negotiating job offers. Like it, it, it didn't start out that way. I really struggled with it, especially being like a type A person. I, you know, straight A student, I was involved in extracurricular activities. I, I, I did internships. I mean, I crossed off everything on that checklist that everyone tells you to do. Mm-hmm. And yet I had like one interview and thankfully they offered me a job, but mm-hmm. I knew I never wanted to be in that situation. So that kind of embarked my journey of how to, you know, get ahead in my career, how to mm-hmm. get those um, salary increases. How do I get promoted? How do I get, um, you know, visibility or, um, you know, be, get the attention of like leadership and, you know, I've been successful and I've now helped hundreds of, you know, professional job seekers do the same as well. 
Lately, I've been drinking Magic Mind almost every day before I start working for the day to help with getting into the flow state. Whether you are still in college or you work full-time like me, I know we all have those days where it feels extremely difficult to stay focused and on task. While I don't judge myself for lack of productivity, I do care about how effective I am with my time because time is precious, so why would I want to waste it? Something I've been genuinely really shocked about with Magic Mind is not only how good it tastes because I'm super picky, but also actually how well I stay focused. I mean, I don't know what it is, but if I'm being really honest, I get distracted kind of easily and it's been working wonders. So let's break down what Magic Mind really does. It is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee if you drink coffee for energy and focus or if you are like me, you can drink it alongside because I personally cannot give up my coffee. I love making it in the morning. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. I highly recommend you give this a try if you are already considering it. It comes in a box of 15 and I like it so much, sometimes I drink it twice a day. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Enjoy! That's that's amazing. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people that can resonate with that frustration of maybe only one job offer or not really getting through that, especially in the past year with the difficulty of unemployment and kind of the, the, the job search and everything with kind of COVID and whatnot. So I know that's been very difficult for including some of my peers and colleagues. Um, but I'm curious, how did you shift from, okay, working in that conventional space and then really pivoting out into becoming a career coach? Like, was there interest or I guess maybe even to something I always like to ask, if you look back in your childhood days, was there anything that is relatable to what you do today in terms of like what you were naturally drawn to as a kid, or, you know, you said that you were good at, as being a leader, or you were extroverted. Were some of those, I guess, looking back now, ways of connecting the dots leading up to your current career? <laughs> yes. Now that I look back, definitely. So as a child, um, I'm the oldest out of four okay, and I have all girls, all sisters. And instead of playing house, um, I would play business. Mm-hmm. So I would have a, I own a bank. So if my sister, for example, wanted to eat lunch, you know, since I was taking care of her, she had to pay the restaurant mm-hmm. and in order to pay, she had to get a job. So that's how I kind of tricked her into cleaning like her room. Uh-huh. So she cleaned one of my properties, AKA her room. Mm-hmm. She got paid on these dollars and checkbooks that I could pay. <laughs> And in order for her to increase her credit, I had also owned a bank. So she had to go. So my sister learned a lot in regards to like getting jobs, earning, managing a big account and a credit card um, at the age of like six or seven. Wow. Okay. (laughs) They're five years apart. So I was around 11 or 12 and, you know, she was like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm like, oh, you mean you, you want to go to the restaurant and get something to eat? Like, oh, um, you need to like pay for that. Like, do you have a credit card? Like, oh, sorry. Like your credit card was bounced. Um, do you have a checkbook or cash? Right, right. So I, like at that point in time, like I, I, that's what I managed. I managed different businesses that I kind of utilized while taking care of my sisters. And now, of course, I, I own my own career coaching business. And right. I started my first business when I was 25 um, as an ad, virtual admin. Okay. So 
it was something that I kept talking about, but never did anything like, oh, when I own my business or when I start my business. Mm. And eventually I finally caught myself um, waking up. I turned 25. I woke up and I was like, I keep saying this, but I have done anything to meet or get to that goal. Mm. I'm giving myself a timeline, either I start a business in three months or I never speak of this again. That means I don't want it enough to yep. do anything about it. So I gave myself a timeline and that's what really like, what was the pivotal moment of, I don't have in three months. I clearly, I don't have right now budget to spend like a brick and mortar business. Mm-hmm. So I had a hundred dollars that I can spend on this business. And I'm like, what skills do I already have? Cause I don't have time for certifications. Right. And that's what prompted my virtual admin business. And then I pivoted to career coaching. And that was more of based on supply, uh, well, more on demand because I had invested so much on my career that I was getting those promotions and doing all these things. And I even got the attention of Business Insider, which covered um, my story and it received over a million views in less than a week of like how I got a $30,000 salary increase um, before the age of like 27. Wow. I'm curious. I'm sorry. Um, I was curious too, because I feel like a lot of people struggle, especially with that aspect of saying they want to do something, right? Like how you said you want to start this business and, you know, at around the age of 25 or of some sort. Um, but then you realize like you're, you kept talking about it, but you weren't doing anything. Right. And that's something it's funny too. I had the exact same scenario when I left my nine to five, I finally applied what is known as Parkinson's law, where you give yourself an extremely short deadline, short amount of time, to accomplish something. It's kind of like, I think back in college when we're procrastinating and we realize it's Thursday and your essays do Friday at midnight, you're like, oh my gosh, you're so you know laser focused because you're like, it's due at this point. And so I implemented that same effect on myself because I knew that was what was gonna get the job done. And I'm like, all right, you're either leaving or you're not, but like, this is, this is the, the final day. And so is there any advice you'd have, you know, looking back when you were at that age, like, for those who, who don't know how to implement that kind of discipline, like what are some good ways for them to, to reframe on getting something done that they know they've been procrastinating for a long time, especially with, you know, doing something for themselves? I mean, for example, for me, like where it comes from is I see people like older than me say like, what if, well, if I had started a business, I would have done it. Or I thought about that business idea a long time ago, like that could have been my million dollar business. And I find myself thinking like, okay, why did you do it? Like right. <laughs> there's at a certain point you're like, oh, I hate to say this, but it's like, all right, you're just sound like a talker. Like, yeah, you could have done this. You could have done that, but clearly you did it. So that's why you're where you're at right now. Right. And that's when I realized like, I don't want to be that person. I mm-hmm. don't want to be like, well, one of the, uh, if I would have started a business, then I would have started that. And that's when I, I, I even, I get tired of hear myself saying, oh yeah, like, oh, oh have you started that business? Or I, I know you've been interested in starting a business. Oh, you know, what happened And school came up and then things came up. And mm. after a while I get embarrassed and tired of hearing myself saying things over and over again, yeah. that I then take action and give myself a deadline. Clearly this is important enough for me to keep repeating it over and over again. People are now asking me, now I'm embarrassed. Now I need yeah. to put action to it or just kind of free myself and say, you know what, Claudia, you're just saying this because you think you should be doing it, but that's not something you really want. Clearly you haven't dedicated any time to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that's what I kind of do an audit assessment. Like, are people asking you about this? Do you keep hearing yourself saying this over and over again? Like a good example is podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, 
I, I had been on podcasts as guests, like I am now. And I kept saying like, oh yeah, you know, by the way, do you have any like tips on like how to you know manage your podcast? I'm looking to start one. Mm-hmm. And eventually one of them said, okay, when are you launching your podcast? I'm like, oh, uh, January. Mm-hmm. And January came, that's when the podcast got released. And she's like, hey, send me the your podcast link since it's, um, it's, releasing the same time you said you're going to release your podcast. And I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I have not launched a podcast. And I keep telling people during these interviews Mm -hmm. and I feel like such a fraud. So in three weeks, I launched my podcast. So, and you know, I like I said, it just needed to put that action behind it. And like I said, that's what motivates me. Um, Shame. (laughs) <laughs> and tired of hearing myself. So find what motivates you as a person and use that and leverage it. And that becomes your asset into execution. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think there's something to say too, when you start to speak about these aspirations out loud and you tell people, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then there's nothing worse than feeling like a fraud because you feel like you lied to your friends or people you, you know, and you don't want to be a liar, especially when it's like unintentional, you know, you meant to do that, but then you ended up not because of procrastination. So I think that's also a great tip because I've applied that myself where I'm like, I've told people already, I'm leaving my nine to five. I have to stay committed to it because, you know, it's embarrassing if I say one thing and I didn't do it. So <laughs> I, I, I could not agree more, but I definitely want to dive into some of your Uh, career coaching tips and especially in different aspects. And I definitely want to start with the interviewing process because I think this is one where a lot of people find difficulty in because they're on the spot, they're in the hot seat, you know, and I think it's definitely a, a skill to master of being able to talk and, and not have to be frightened by questions and so forth. And so, you know, my first question for you that you'd have to advise to, especially young women, how do you answer tricky and difficult questions, especially when it comes up and you're surprised by them? Like, what are some common tips you have given as well as common mistakes you have seen people make, especially maybe in the younger age? Well, it depends what type of tricky questions. If you're a consultant, they might ask you something like, how many quarters does it take to fill up this room? (laughs) Mm. And there's books for that. You know, like Google tends to ask consultant roles. They tend to ask a lot of those case in point questions. And there's books for that. We already know that's anticipator that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Prepare for that. Um, and then when it comes to tricky questions, it's really identifying what is the question behind the question. So for right. example, the question of tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not like they don't, the interviewer does, I'm sorry, but they don't care to hear about who was your best friend in kindergarten? Yep. Who's your best friend in high school? How did that go? What, you know, where were you born? You know, what is your favorite meal that your mom makes you? Like they don't care anything about that. What they're really asking is, you know, tell me about yourself professionally that's related to this role and or this industry yep. that, you know, is that I should know. And why are you better than the other candidates? That's really the question behind the question. Mm-hmm. Same thing about tell me about your, tell me about your greatest weakness. They're not asking if like, and I hear people say, oh, I should give them a big weakness. So that way, you know, I, I don't see them as imperfect. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. What they're really asking is, are you self-aware? Yeah. And what do you do about it? So do you take mm-hmm. action and what is, and are you teachable? So mm-hmm. if you were to say, you know, I, I consider myself a horrible public speaker, mm-hmm. but, you know, self-aware, I'm aware that I'm a bad public speaker. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I knew was important, especially for the role in industry and how I want to co- progress in my career is um, I knew I needed to get better at this skill set. So I've enrolled in Toastmasters and I've been part of this now for six months. And one of the projects is, you know, getting up and 
you know, you know, uh, doing a present, a five minute presentation. Mm -hmm. And so far I did one. I didn't do as good as I, I, I would like to say, but I already know I got feedback on how I can improve mm-hmm. and get better at speaking. I'm still not at the level where I want or should be, but I am confident that in the next six to 12 months, I will be there to get to that skill set. And I'm doing this ahead in advance because I know I will need this as a manager role. And currently I'm moving to that individual contributor role. So mm-hmm. you're teachable, you're doing something about it. You're not saying like, you know, I'm a bad public speaker. It is what it is at this point. My mom was a bad public speaker. My dad was a bad public speaker. It's in my genes. So <laughs> I'll just, and that's what really they're looking for. So don't give a fake weakness because it's hard to be genuine when it's fake. Yep. Be real. Um, even for a client, I had them say, or they would say like, well, my weakness is an introvert and not because I'm an introvert itself, but because I tend not to speak up during meetings, especially when I know I have value to add. So here's what I'm doing about it. I'm trying to feel more comfortable with speaking up um, instead of, you know, telling my manager afterwards what kind of like that feedback is. So that way it can lead to uh, contributing and engagement within the team in itself. And it could lead, you know, to developing a lot of these solutions. And that's how we leverage it. They can speak to it because it is true. Mm -hmm. And there's always a solution to everything. Right. except for death in itself, but everything else has solution. Everything else is teachable. Everything is mostly a learned skill set. Mm-hmm. I, I like those two. And I, and I, and I could not agree more. I think the key is being self-aware of what you're good at and what you need to improve upon. And I think that's kind of that gap for, for many people is like sometimes that lack of self-awareness on how to reframe it in their mind. And that's something I definitely encourage on the show too, is, you know, don't be afraid to talk about, I guess, in layman's terms, it's in, in the modern day world, sometimes it's about your insecurities or sometimes it's about those things, but being aware of what those are and acknowledging I'm working on them. To me, it's always been, you know, I think that's a great sign of, all right, I'm work, looking to improve on myself. Um, but I think that also parlays over into my next point too, which is around confidence, right? I think there is, at least I can speak on myself, there's a level of confidence in being self-aware of what you're great at and what you're still working on. And um, I'm curious, do you have any advice on how we can show that kind of confidence in the interview, whether it's through body language, the way we speak, any specific notes that are like, you know, okay, these are the must-dos when it comes to being in an interview? Uh, Low-hanging fruit, uh, as far as the confidence, is you know, having the camera like at eye level, like I've seen some people, like when I do mock interviews, it's like the screen is very up or like they're in a weird position. Mm. So you want to make sure that in the camera, it looks like we're almost across from each other. And actually like, right. this video is perfect. We're across <laughs> from each other. It's not like one is smaller than the other, or I'm right. a little bit above here, or I'm like down here. Mm-hmm. So it want, you want to create that illusion that we're right across from each other. Like if it yep. was a real interview, Mm-hmm. But what I've seen the best is preparation leads to confidence. Mm-hmm. Most people are not confident because they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. They'll say things like, oh, I'll know what to say once I'm at the interview or I'll just wing it. Mm-hmm. And then they find themselves during the interview and they're like, for example, that question you said, tricky question. Most questions can be answered with five, six stories in your toolbox. Like, you know, they're usually asking Tell me about the time you had to work with a difficult client or you worked on a difficult project or we didn't meet deadlines. To me, it's no, it's not part of the top five common questions, but there's always a version of that that's always asked. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time you had to do something that was out of your responsibility. Tell me about a time you had to showcase leadership skills. 
Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time you had to do something new that you never done before. And if they were to say, well, we're really looking for someone that has this experience or has used this system. You know, I totally understand where you're coming from. I actually came into the same scenario in my current role where I didn't know how to utilize this system. So I knew this was detrimental to the role in itself and the success of this project. So I did A, B, and C. And within this time frame, I was able to confidently use this system. And now I teach my onboarding team on how to leverage the system efficiently and effectively mm-hmm. that will make their day-to-day work more successful. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt that I'll be able to do the same, you know, when it comes to the system. Right. So it's, there's always going to be something you don't know. Mm-hmm. Even if it's in the same company in itself, there's always going to be. So have that story to say like, oh, you don't have this experience. Oh, I totally understand it. I had written to similar situation. Here's how I did it. And here's how I plan to do the same if I were to be in this role. Mm-hmm. So preparation really is going to help you with that because you're no longer trying to figure out what to say. You've already workshopped and we prepared diligently and strategically what to say that's going to, you know, it's relevant to the role. And it's going to make you stand out from the competition. Mm -hmm. So now my clients, you know, and usually I work with is they're not trying to figure out what to say. Instead, they already know what to say and they can focus more on um, really letting their personality shine through. Mm -hmm. Even if you're an introvert, you're like, oh, I'm an introvert. I can be awkward. You still have a personality. Like I'm sure like when you talk to a sibling or friend that, you know, all of a sudden you're very different than you are with strangers. Yep. So it will help with picking up on those body language, those social cues, because again, you're not using your whole mentality and your energy of like, what should I say? That's already been done. Now we're leaving space to identify like, oh, they seem interested when I said this or um, like, oh, maybe I should dive into a little bit more. Ask if there's any hesitations to see if I should dive into more because it seemed a little bit confused. Right. Yeah. Preparation will lead to confidence. Mm hmm. I feel like that also kind of parlays over into the next point too, which is overcoming hidden objections. So we can move on to the next round. I saw that you had mentioned that's something you work on specifically. And I feel like what you said right there, which is kind of like figuring out, do they, do they need more clarification? Do they need to know more about the story, whatever that may be and being able to read that? Um, Is there a way as well to kind of understand what those objections might be? So, you know, we can really ensure that we're, you know, moving on to the next round and really being able to land that role. Yes, I have every person that I come across. If you're interviewing, you have to ask this question. Mm. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel uncomfortable. That's why you prepare and practice. Mm -hmm. But it would be the number one key to ask during any interview that will give you peace of mind and understanding, transparency, and clarity. Mm -hmm. The question you want to ask is, do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? Mm, mm, I like quiet. That. Yeah. Do not ask. So what do next steps look like? Cause I can tell you what next steps look like. That doesn't mean you're going to make it to next steps. <laughs> so the question is, do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? That's going to address the elephant in the room. And they might say, Emily, you know what? You're great. You have the perfect background and experience. We're very excited. You'll be here from HR to schedule the next interview. You'll be interviewing with the VP of blank. Right. Um, and then after that, you know, this is the process, you know, you'll be hearing from us in the next 24 to 48 hours. Right. And now you can leave that interview confidently. So when your friends, family members, spouse or whatever asks, you know, how did the interview go? Oh, great. I, you know, they told me I'm moving to the next interview mm-hmm. uh, round and I should be hearing from them. And then you can go about your day mm-hmm. instead of, I don't know. I thought I did great, but mm. I didn't mention this or I shouldn't have said this or 
I feel like I should have thrown it more into information. The other scenario that can happen is saying, do I have your support move forward to next steps? Well, Emily, I think you have a really good background, but we are looking for someone that has managed um, $5 million in budget. And it looks like you don't have any budget experience. Maybe you do. You know, I actually, you know, one of the things is I do have budget. Sometimes they don't even look at your resume, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to remind them. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up. And, you know, I actually, you know, one of the things that I have experienced and I've had in this run, the previous run is budget management. And I've been able to manage budgets anywhere between 100K and 2 million. Um, you know, so one of the things that I would do if I were to be in this role is assessing like the budget where it's currently at, any processes or particles that would need to be happy with the department. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to go through finance to make decisions. Sometimes you need to go through different functions and leads in order to make or ask for more budget or, you know, promotions or increase in pay. Mm -hmm. So I'll follow that process and then um, be able to do so accordingly and see how it's managed historically and how are we looking to go to the future to make sure that the budget aligns, aligns with business needs or mm -hmm. business goals. Mm -hmm. So then you're putting them at ease. And if you don't have budget management experience, you can say, you know, I, I totally understand. Is there something specific that kind of um, you're, you're a little bit hesitant in regards to budget management? Because I've taken a budget management class and, you know, I maybe managed the budget for my volunteer board that I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm part of. Um, and I also plan on, you know, really leaning on, you know, my directors and previous budgets in order to give me insights and then leveraging different departments such as finance in order to help me make better business decisions, especially when it comes to A, B, and C. What about in the worst case scenario, whether someone doesn't have anything related to that? Like, let's say in that question, they don't have any budgeting experience at all. What's the best way to pivot so you can maximize, you know, a potential close or win there as well that they can, you know, maybe favor you in a way where whether it looks like you're still capable of learning, adapting quickly, what's the best way to frame it and, and pivot again in preparation when it's something like you actually have no background in, but you can, you can try to insinuate that you'd still be a great fit because X, Y, Z. Yeah. So one question I always like to ask besides the do I have support moving forward to next steps is, you know, what is the hardest skill to hire for in this role? And another one can be, what is the, um, you know, could you tell me a little bit more of like, what are the benefits of hiring someone internally as opposed to externally? That's if you're applying internally, because you're going to be competing right. with external candidates and then lead with that. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa, what, is the what are the benefits of hiring someone externally as opposed to internally, if you know they're hiring internally as well? So now it's almost like asking to the answers to the test. You already yep. told me what the hardest skill to hire for. You already told me the benefits of why you should hire me, whether I'm external or internal, versus the other. Um, and I'm going to break that in my closing statement. And you want to put it all together, you know. One of the things that, um, you know, I'm interested based on what I'm hearing is you're really looking for someone and that's really where I thrive. And that's actually one of my top strengths. And even when they ask you, what is your greatest strength? Say that and give an example. Right. right. And then leading to that and then saying, you know, I, I'm excited and, you know, I will love the opportunity to work at this department. Another thing I would do is do research. So that way you can bring that into itself. So, for example, if it's like a public company, look at their earnings call. You know, mm -hmm. I have top skills that you're looking for. Here's the benefits of hiring me as opposed to internal or externally. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about the opportunity or the possibility of helping the department 
um, bring in this new product to market um, mm. based on your earnings call that you're looking to achieve in the next you know, two to three quarters. And my background lies in this customer segmentation that you're currently looking to penetrate. Mm. And I know I can be an asset to the department, um, especially with this upcoming launch. And you know, in just a short few weeks, I'll be able to bring in my expertise and leverage a lot of my networks to make sure that this goes successfully and on time and on budget. Mm-hmm. So right. you pulling different lovers to all of a sudden, again, you are asking for a lot of these answers and yeah. then we're bringing them back to the closing statement, then coming back to, so based on everything you heard today, do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? Mm. And, and would you say that question is ultimately kind of that closing statement slash the way someone kind of masters the art of close, yeah. so to speak? Yeah. If they were to say, oh, the whole budget management experience, and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm glad that you, you know, you brought that up or that you've taken these classes. Mm-hmm. You're like, perfect. So based on everything, um, you know, aside from that, do you have any hesitations in me fulfilling this job successfully? Mm-hmm. It's the same question asked in a different way. We're just saying, okay, is there anything else? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think in sales, they call it writing the bull. Right, right. And I, and I think that is a great way to pivot to in, in that the way the wording is very different from, you know, oh, is there anything else? Right. So I think yeah. that's true right here. What I'm noticing is there's a lot of specific ways to say things that actually enables you to get a better outcome, you know, that is in favor of you. So yeah, I, I really like that. Um, I think another part of just the whole career aspect that everyone struggles with myself seeing um, some people I have reviewed resumes in the past, but resume building. And I think the the best way I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on is hearing what are the top practices you see with resumes? Like what are some of the core, you know, okay, these are the must haves in your resume, whether it's like on one page only or the, the format of it, like maybe not making it colorful. Some of these things I, even myself, to be honest, I was surprised that some people weren't aware about. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, my dad has been um, in corporate America for, you know, 30 plus years. And so when he used to interview people from Ivy League schools and whatnot, he was so accustomed to, you know, reviewing resumes. And so I had the fortune of having someone close in my family to see and give me advice. But when I was helping friends and colleagues, I wasn't aware, like, wow, there's actually a lot of unknowns out there that people aren't really aware of about. So what are some of those practices that you would say are just the must do's for a resume? I would say connect the dots for the reader. You got to remember who your audience or who your reader is. Mm-hmm. It's maybe someone in HR recruiter where they may not have the subject matter expertise into that role in itself. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to make a decision of based on this job posting and maybe some of the conversations I've had, does this person look like they will be a good fit for this role. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember they're hiring for most, you know, most recruiters, like they tend to be hiring anywhere between 40 to 80 roles. Mm-hmm. And it could be anywhere from marketing, technical, engineering, custodian, executive assistant, mm-hmm. sales. And so they're, they don't know specifically into the role itself where they can say like, oh, wow, this is like hard to find in this role. But so you want to make sure that anyone with no background experience can understand what you're saying, or is it full of acronyms and jargons where they're like, I, I don't even know what you're saying at this point. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be able to be read by someone that can say, I don't necessarily know the industry itself, but I can, based on this resume, it sounds like you're really good at what you do, mm-hmm. you know, and quantifying it. Most people tend to make their resume like a task laundry list, manages projects, um, reviews, reports, reviews, generates and reviews, reports. And it's just, okay, so what, 
Right. So you review reports. What do you do with it? Nothing like, oh, I did my job. I reviewed it. Mm. I didn't make any notes. I didn't create any solutions around it. I didn't do anything but review reports. Mm. So always ask, am I connecting the dots in the resume where within six to eight seconds, they can say, okay, I've done A, B, and C, which aligns with the top three skills they're looking for. And now I'm looking to leverage my experience for X role. Mm. Sometimes you need to connect the dot for them. Right. And if you're changing industries, like from example, like I've had clients change from like the hospitality industry to now they want to go maybe to HR, mm-hmm. same thing. You're not going to put like hospital, I mean, um, what is it? Hospitality or manage, um, front desk at a hotel right. and then apply for an HR role. Right. I'm not connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. So instead say now, because of my expertise in the um, service industry, I'm looking to leverage my expertise into an HR role, which will allow me to continue working with um, people mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, solve solutions for businesses and be able to find the perfect solution for job candidates and job seekers. Mm. Um, And then lastly, ask the so what? So kind of to avoid the task laundry list. Mm -hmm. So what? So you reviewed a report. So what? Why? Why does that matter? Why do I? Why should I care? Right. And if it's just quantify it and people are like, well, my role, you don't really quantify. I beg to differ. Like, for example, I had an application developer. He said, well, I don't have any metrics. Uh, How many apps have you built? How many people are using your app? Who is your customer segmentation using this app? What systems did you use? How long did it take you to finish this app? Um, how many iterations have you done? Mm-hmm. Um, did you do quality audit? You know, on average, like how much, how much bandwidth like did it take up? Like all these other things that literally you can go and drill down. So mm-hmm. I have yet to come across an industry or role mm-hmm. that isn't quantifiable. Right. Right. And I've heard that as well, being very specific with, you know, numbers and showing, you know, X percent or whatever that is, you know, like you said, making it quantifiable. And I think that really showcases the kind of impact you made within your role, because I think what I also see is that sometimes people are too vague about what they did, kind of like you said, reviewed reports, right? But then it's like, okay, but but what did you, what was the impact with that, right? Like, did you help, you know, grow the company in a certain way? Or did you, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever that role may be. So I think that's a big one that I'm seeing that is missing, especially amongst people with recent grads. Um, what about mistakes? I think this one is, is a good one to touch on too. What are some common mistakes you see? And again, maybe leaning towards people who are recently graduated, still very new to the job for the workforce, you know, what are some things that people are overlooking that you can really advise on? Um, specifically, I, I mean, I've seen this across various industries, but primarily, especially consultants mm, okay. where they're like, well, we just consult or create the strategy, but we don't necessarily implement it. We give that to the client and I don't have those metrics or I can really speak to that. Or they'll just go focus more like, um, created a solution that, you know, optimize processes. Mm. Okay. Sometimes you want to lead with what prompted this project? Mm -hmm. Why is this important? Why are they investing time, resources, and personnel Mm -hmm. in trying to figure out this project? So instead, it could be something like identify skills knowledge gap within this department that led to um, a backlog and it led to delayed timeframes, exceeded budgets, um, a lot of errors when it came to go go live and list them because then when the reader is reading it, specifically now at this point, the hiring manager, mm-hmm. they might say like, that's exactly what we're going through. So you're telling me now people can identify pain points 
it's hard for them to identify solutions. That's why they're trying to hire someone to identify or do the solution. So leading with that pain point, people can say, that's us. Like we are having backlog issues. We are, we're uh, like way out of budget at this point. We never make our deadlines Mm -hmm. and created solutions to meet business goals within, um, you know, within a few months, we're able to meet, you know, on budget and maybe increase productivity or whatever it was. People can relate to that. And that it gives them, it becomes more enticing. Um, And again, it could be applied to other industries as well, because sometimes they'll either be task related, like we mentioned in reports, like, Mm -hmm. okay, that tells me nothing. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, you know, improve turnaround time for uh, for different processes. Mm what processes, how much, because every person has a different experience, therefore has a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. If I were to tell you, I increased revenue by 10%, mm-hmm. throw me a number. If I said increase, I increased revenue by 10% for a marketing company that sells lipstick. What do you think that number is? I increased um, sales by 10%. I don't know. Let's just say a hundred thousand. Like, let's just, let's just say it's not somewhere around there. Let's make it easy. A hundred thousand. 10%. Yeah. I was thinking 50,000. Okay. So I just, <laughs> so no. And, and like I said, it's, it, it, it just varies because of our experience or background. Another person could be like, well, I thought you were going to say a million dollars, <laughs> you know? Right. So it really depends. So I call it anchoring the imagination. We want to control what their imagination is. Mm. So mm-hmm. I increased sales by 10% that equated to over $500,000 in additional sales yeah. annually in the new customer segmentation between the ages of 25 to 30 years uh-huh. old. Oh, there's no room for me to interpret anything right, differently. Right. It was 500,000. She did it in a year and it continues to grow year over year. And it was for this specific um, age range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it could be the line, a lipstick line of business. Right, right. So we are controlling how they're interpreting my background, yeah. my information, my expertise. So that's why metrics are important. Don't just say I increase sales by 10%. So what, did it take you 10 years to increase sales by 10% or did you do that in two months? Right. How much is 10%? Is it $10 or is it $50,000? Right, right. Again, you want to control. And sometimes it could be more of, you actually have a big number to showcase, but because I've only come across or based on what I know, I think of, you know, 50,000 you're like, what? No, I increased sales by $100,000. You want to make sure that you let me know that because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I was thinking 50,000. Like you're better than what I, we thought. Right, like right. that, you can do that for us. Like, yes, like you got the role, right. whatever you want to charge at this point. Right. So it's taking control and anchoring people's imagination because again, mm. there's there's going to be a lot of readers reviewing your name. Right. Mm, that, that's great advice. And I guess it's a great place to pivot to. I know my audience, they actually submitted a few questions they wanted to hear from you about. And again, yeah, these questions are a little bit more catered towards kind of, again, post-grad years. So I'd say, you know, from 22 to 27. Um, But one of the questions was around GPA. They asked, how much does GPA matter? And again, of course, you know, when you're already many years into your career, we already know it's that's all the question. But I guess, you know, first two, three years out of college, what would you say? I hate this answer, but it depends if it's your, you have no experience. So for example, let's just say you have a good GPA, you just graduated, put that in there, you know, it it won't hurt. Um, But I would rather you showcase still like your experience and your GPA. Now, if it's a, uh, like an internship fellowship program where it says like, you need to have a 3.0 GPA, 
again, you want to include that so that other, I know some HSSs would just kind of kick you out if you don't follow that guideline or they'll ask you in while you're applying, mm-hmm. obviously include it. Let's just say you had a bad GPA, but you still graduated. Right. Um, don't, you know, there's no need to include it. I rather you focus on your experience or projects that you worked on in school, kind of just avoid that. But if you already have experience, let's just say you have already a year of experience, like put your education towards the bottom. Don't include a GPA. Mm-hmm. You don't need to any time moving forward after that. Right. right. Like there, after, unless you're a recent graduate with no experience, mm-hmm. then yes, include it. Now, if it's a bad, then try to lead with like projects or volunteers somewhere where that way you can have projects to beef up that resume mm-hmm. and kind of distract the reader. And at the end of the day, they're trying to figure out, can you do the job? Are you going to be easy to work with? Right. And are you teachable? Mm. Honestly, all interviews lead to those three things. Right. That's really what they're trying to figure out. Right. So that's my recommendation. Um, yeah. After after a year yeah. of work experience, no need. Like nobody cares. At the, right. I mean, I hate to say this, but nobody really cares. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too. But I figured, you know, just had to throw that question out there for those who are, you know, in college and might be stressing. And, you know, I, I, I've been two years out of college, so I certainly forget, um, you know, that side of it. But another question, and I think this one would be, would be great for you. They asked how to deal with constant rejection from jobs. And I think this is definitely something a lot of people face at some point in their, their career path. Um, but what would you say for, for the constant rejection and how to reframe that? That's activity. Review your activity. So for example, for every 10 jobs you apply, you should be getting anywhere between two to three interviews. Even if you're a recent graduate or early in your career, if it's aligned with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. If you're applying to be a doctor and you graduate with like your bachelor's in um, in marketing, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not going to get a job as a doctor. <laughs> like it just, most people will go with aligned. They'll start with an entry-level role within that ex- experience level. Mm-hmm. So every 10 jobs, two to three interviews. If you're not getting that, you need help with your resume. Mm-hmm. So I've had clients come to me saying, actually, I just had a call with a client today saying, hey, I've applied to a thousand jobs and I've only received 50 interviews. Like, oh, I, I've had a lot of interviews. I've applied to a thousand jobs. And I'm like, whoa, you applied to a thousand jobs? Like, every, I love that quote, I think by Albert Einstein says, insanity means doing the yeah. same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. After 50 or 100, I, I I would never have gotten to the point of a thousand uh, jobs, but good for her for her dedication. But it's, it's just data. Yep. Hey, I applied to 20 jobs. I had one interview. I need help with my resume, whether it's a friend or hire a professional. It's just my resume at this point. Now, if you apply to 10 jobs and two to three interviews you're getting, but you're not getting the job offer, you need help with your interviewing skills. Mm. So rejection is just data. That's all it is. Again, practice with someone or work, hire a professional to help you with that. Now, let's just say you're moving across your job, but no job offers. You need help with your closing during the interview. You need to be able to stand out from the last one or two candidates out there. So you need to learn how to outbeat the competition mm. and be the number one candidate. Mm. Okay. That's a learned skill set. Yep. If you keep getting job offers and it's a low salary, then one, you need to work on your strategy and, or you need to work on your brand. Because you're coming in as a, hey, I should offer her a $50,000 job because that should be aligned with her skill set. Like, no, no, no. My skill set is at $80,000. And here's why. So, again, it's all about brand positioning. And, you know, again, it's like understanding that expertise. Right. And, like, hard skill to Maybe you didn't mention that hard skill to hire for. And that's why they're offering 50. But had you mentioned this, now they were willing to offer 75000 Right. 
So it's really understanding. That's what it is. It's data. Um, like based on my experience, at least in jobs. So same thing, like when I pitch to be like, um, in different like podcasts, like for example, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to say yes. And that's okay. So if I send out 10, 20 people to be on podcasts and nobody responds, mm-hmm. I clearly need to work on that email. Like right. there's either, I'm not providing any value. No one's seeing me that I can bring value to their um, podcast, or it's not even aligned at all. Like right. I'm, I'm, I'm asking to come in as a career coach for a, a podcast that talks about sports. They're going to be like, what? No, yeah. like, you have no business in this podcast. Right. Right. So rejection is just data. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really like the, you know, when you were talking about the breakdown of like, if, if this is happening, then do this. And if this is happening, look at this. And it's so funny because I was instantly thinking I am going to make a graphic about this right here for Instagram <laughs> because that is so perfect because again, many, you know, many people graduating in their twenties, early, mid, late twenties, who are just kind of figuring out what they like, what they don't like in regards to their career. I think these are many questions that come about or many obstacles that come about, but they don't know the next move. Then they don't know how to maneuver from that point, which I think you just gave those clear answers from there on what to look at if this is where they're getting stuck at. So I really appreciate that. And I think that's a great place to kind of close out this interview. But one last question, something I ask everyone on the show, um, a little bit different from the career topic, but I, I think this question is always relevant to kind of how we interpret what we do within our career and how we combine it within our life in general. But like the name of the podcast what would you say fulfills you in life so I feel like I've been able to hone this on even more this past year um, but it's really empowering women because I think that by empower I know by empowering women we empower households and create safe households so not only for children future generations but also the women in itself so that's really what fulfills me and that's why like in my career coaching um I aim to help women earn more because that gives them power and empowerment and opportunity to make more decisions. Um, or it just opens up to different types of decisions to make. Um, so that's what fulfills me. Yeah. Wow. I love that answer. And and obviously too, as a female myself, I'm all about women empowerment and really being able to elevate others in that aspect. So thank you for doing what you do and sharing everything today. Where can everyone find you, whether it's on Instagram or your website, feel free to share that so they can go check it out. So my Instagram is at Claudia T. Miller, and you can also go to my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. And that's where I share a lot of my resources. I'll have the podcast as well. And Right now I'm creating, or I'll be sharing my $10,000 word for word salary negotiation script. So to anyone that signs up um, through my website. Amazing. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you again, Claudia, for joining me today. This was truly so amazing. Of course. Well, thanks Emily for having me. And of course, to any of your listeners, if you implement any of these strategies, let us know, <laughs> leave a review, let us know what you um, implemented. Cause we love reading and hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, so keep us posted. And that was all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this career-focused and career-oriented type of episode. And if you want more of this, because I know as of the past couple of months, I haven't had as much career-slash-business-oriented topics um, on this podcast. If you want more of that, 
Please be sure to let me know by sharing this episode on your Instagram, tagging at what fulfills you and just sharing with me. Let me know that you loved this one specifically and that you want more of this. You can, of course, always DM me on Instagram or comment on the post related to this episode so I can just be sure to make note of that and invite more guests onto the show who can chat more about business, career preparation, and all that good stuff. And don't forget the card game is available to shop at whatfulfillsyou.com. I know many of you guys have been loving this game, so thank you so much for your support. And as always, if you are a podcast listener, you get 10% off. So you can use the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That is whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I will chat with you all next time.